Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it is good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payments and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offerings, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God, and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so meditation, soul cycle, CrossFit, all other exercise routines, diet plans, counseling, therapy, the Myers-Briggs test, the Enneagram. Uh, what do all of those things have in common for us? Well, many times they are attempts at assessing ourselves and centering ourselves in order that we might find satisfaction in life. All of them get at the idea that I need to understand what is happening within me or for me to have a proper view of the world and hopefully, as a result, find a sense of meaning or purpose or balance. Um, all of what I just named, all those different things, they can be good and they can be very helpful in achieving that end. Of course, some of them can be um, become obsessions, of course, but, but finding a centering in life is so often what many of us long for. So often we're seeking that centering so that we can have this sense of meaning or balance, and it's what the Bible calls contentment. We all have this deep, seated desire for contentment and for rest in life in order to calm the anxiousness that Pastor Hector spoke about last week. So what does it mean to find contentment? Now, if you've been with us, you know that, of course, we've been in a series called Marked by Joy. Uh, and over the last 10 weeks, uh, we've considered what the Christian life looks like and how it ought to be marked by joy in all circumstances. And today, we finish that series by taking a look at Paul's words specifically around what it means to be content. 
Now, in the very first week of the series, uh, we considered the fact that often we tend to conflate the ideas of happiness and joy, which can create problems when we try to consider what life circumstances bring us and how we ought to then respond to those life circumstances. Because, as we said, happiness is too often very dependent on the interplay between the vision that I have for my life and the circumstances that surround me. In other words, if my circumstances work in my favor uh, of what I think life should be, then of course I'll find happiness. But we all know that the reality of life is that so often life just does not go as we planned. And for Paul, that was absolutely the case. I mean, as we've seen, throughout this letter is we've seen that he is in prison, but despite his dire circumstances of being in prison, not knowing if he's going to be executed or not, what we've seen is that time after time after time, Paul speaks of the joy that he has. Because as we've seen and as we considered, ultimately, joy can be experienced in all of life's circumstances because it's not dependent on the circumstances that we find ourselves in at any given moment. I mean, that is that happiness is based on the belief that I know what I need and I need life to go in that way. However, what joy is dependent on is not the life circumstances, but joy is dependent on me trusting the will of God and trusting that he's in control of all things and submitting to that which he brings into my life. I mean, in essence, joy is the ultimate submission to God's will and trust in his purposes, even when we cannot understand what he is doing or what he is accomplishing. And when that is the case, I really can be in very unhappy and even painful circumstances and still experience joy. And in this final section of Paul's letter, he gives us final wisdom on how we can trust God in all circumstances, and as a result of that trust, find contentment. And so what I want to do, I want to look at several things. Simply this, I want to take a look at, well, what is contentment, why we don't have it, and how we can get it. I am sorry for such a boring and obvious outline, um, but let's consider those things together. All right, so what is contentment? Uh, contentment, by uh, definition, um, is simply to be satisfied. But that's actually kind of a hard thing to nail down, the definition, because yes, it does mean to be satisfied, but the reason it's hard to nail down is because contentment also so often feels very elusive to us. Uh, I mean, just think about the last time you felt very content. Uh, for me, I think about uh, just last week, it was Father's Day, and my wife and my kids made uh, a delicious uh, meal uh, we then had delicious dessert, uh, and then I took a delicious nap, um, and in that sense, I was content, and I was satisfied. But you know what? I got hungry again, and I got tired again, and I went from being very satisfied and content to returning back to being discontent. So if contentment is a state of being satisfied, when we know that that state of being satisfied will eventually wane, can we really call what we've experienced true contentment? Or is it just a delusion 
of satisfaction that gives us just enough soothing to get to the next jolt of delusional satisfaction. I mean, even when we look at how Paul talks about contentment in verse 12, he puts it this way. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. I mean, how much more elusive could he seemingly make contentment? Apparently, in some sense, to be content is not just something that we can know. Apparently, it's some kind of secret. And as a result, because it seems so elusive, we do pursue so many different outlets in order to try and achieve that contentment to discover what that secret really is. I mean, if I were to ask you, what do you need in order to be content? I wonder what you might say. For some, maybe you would say, oh, I, I need a new job. Others might say, I need, I need a spouse, or I need a raise, or I need an upgraded apartment. For others, maybe you're seeking good health, or a healthy family, a happy family. And still for others, maybe you're not even pursuing or desiring those kinds of things, but you find yourself experiencing more like what Paul is experiencing here. And contentment for you is just a sense of safety, a sense of basic provision. You know, I think about the current season that we're in and this social upheaval that we find ourselves in. I mean, what does contentment look like in the area of justice and equity in our society? What does contentment look like in an upcoming presidential election? What does uh, contentment look like, like, look like when friends and family are divided over all that's happening in our nation right now? And does it seem completely impossible to be able to achieve true satisfaction in all those scenarios? I think for some, it really does. And for Paul, contentment really is uh, regardless of life circumstances, being satisfied. And that seems like such a crazy, impossible thing to achieve. I mean, for Paul, he says, in any, in every uh, situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, he's satisfied and content. Plus, if you remember, Paul is writing this letter because the Philippians had sent him a monetary gift through Epaphroditus. Paul is saying, listen, I am so grateful uh, that you sent me this gift. I am so grateful that now I can be taken care of in prison. I love you, Philippians. Thank you, Philippians. But even if you never sent me a gift, I've learned to be content. If I had died of starvation or sickness while in prison, I would have died content. I mean, what is that? Right? This is not how we understand contentment. Contentment for us functionally comes when we are well fed, when we have plenty, when we have every, and everything is going well for us. I mean, so often contentment comes only when comfort and safety exist. And why is that? Well, apparently it's because we have a warped sense of contentment. When we consider contentment and satisfaction, we are not thinking rightly about it. That is why Paul speaks of the key to contentment being a secret, because it's not something we just naturally understand or know. We so often do not approach contentment knowing that secret, which is why, to our next point, we often don't have it. 
We don't have it because we are chasing after something that we will never fully capture. So why don't we have it? Uh, back in week one, I mentioned a study that the UN, the UN uh, does every single year where they uh, release the happiness of 50 plus countries. And in this, they, they're rating the happiness of these various countries in the U.S. has consistently plummeted on that list. So a little over 10 years ago, we were third on that list. Fast forward to 2019, we had dropped down to 19th, and by all accounts, we're continuing to fall. And there were a lot of different reasons and rationale for why that might have been the case, but there was a study, actually a recent study that was done, uh, that was attempting to consider why we have been plummeting so uh, rapidly. And you know what's interesting? Do you know what the conclusion of that study was? The study found that the, one of the reasons that they believe our uh, happiness is plummeting is because of addiction. Now, let me read for you a little bit of what that study said. Right? Researchers noted that the increasing uh, addictions in the lives of Americans was resulting in this. Right? The study said, an addiction, generally speaking, is a behavior like substance, uh, I'm sorry, is a behavior like substance use excessive gambling, or excessive use of digital media, which individuals pursue compulsively in the face of adverse consequences known to the individual. My argument, that's the research researchers speaking, my argument is that the U.S. is suffering an epidemic of addictions, and that these addictions are leaving a rising portion of American society unhappy and a rising number clinically depressed. It goes on to say that the concept of addiction was originally applied by psychologists and public health specialists mainly or exclusively to substances such as tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, opioids, and other drugs. More recently, many psychologists have come to regard various behaviors as potential addictions as well, such as addictive behaviors including gambling and social media, video games, shopping, unhealthy foods, exercise, extreme sports, risky sexual behaviors, and others. Such behaviors may become compulsive with individuals pursuing them to excess, despite the awareness of their harmful nature to the individuals themselves and those around them, including friends and family. Really interesting study. I think it's incredibly insightful with regards to our inability to experience contentment. I mean, essentially what we just heard is that the study found that unhappiness and even some clinical depression is related to aspects of our culture that leave us constantly feeling less than or that we don't have enough. And our behaviors reinforce that culture, which then just send us spiraling. Now, I do want to note that not all unhappiness and depression are related to addiction, especially with addiction. Uh, there are other uh, physiological reasons as well. But consider the basic claims of the study. Right? I think the more obvious ways we think about addiction uh, make clear that various forms of things like substance abuse are almost always connected to a desire to disconnect from reality, 
It's one of the reasons why people consistently become substance abusers. They're trying to disconnect. And in a way, and it's a way of numbing or medicating some kind of inner turmoil that someone's experiencing. And we know that that can lead, of course, to unhappiness and depression. But consider all the other things that it mentioned. I mean, what about, as they mentioned, social media? Or what about exercise and diet? What about work? What about shopping? What about sexual desires? I mean, none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but the addiction to them will absolutely leave you in a place of discontent. I mean, just consider those examples. Social media, for example. You know, it's interesting that for a while, social media was a way of connecting with people that you don't get to see regularly. It was a way of just staying connected. Now, social media seems more to be a way of saying, I want my life and my thinking and my perspectives to be better than yours, or I want to see how much better your life is than mine. I mean, when you think about Instagram, um, it's really just a way to try and curate a life that says, look how great my life is. And so, we take pictures at the right angles, with the right filters, with the best captions. And for the most part, we try to be our best selves out there. You look at Facebook, a place uh, for friends and family who rarely get to see each other, now all of a sudden are finding each other and they're just, they find themselves arguing. Or there's algorithms that entrench you into very problematic ideology without even, not even realizing that it's happening. Or you consider Twitter which has largely just become a, a narcissistic place uh, of assumptions that everyone wants to hear, every thought that comes to my mind at any given moment. And I curate a feed with people who think the way that I do. And when you take all of that together, when you stick millions of people together doing the same thing, we inevitably are going to compare our lives and our experiences and our thinking to others. And we are going to be constantly comparing ourselves. We're going to constantly be putting ourselves in positions of being angry or being divisive. And as a result, I mean, none of that's going to make us ultimately feel content or happy or satisfied in life. We're going to feel ter about, terrible about ourselves. You're going to have other people feeling ter terrible about themselves. And we just make each other feel more terrible about each other. It's just a cycle. And boy, oh boy, do we get addicted to that cycle. Or think about work. You know, workaholism is probably one of the isms uh, that also gets treated like a virtue. Uh, but why do we work so hard? So often it's because we are striving for something beyond what we have right now. It is a means of a promotion or a raise or some kind of recognition or some kind of platform. And of course, when we reach that goal, we just find ourselves wanting to reach another goal. And as a result of that, it's impossible to feel really content with where we are right now. Or consider the other ones that they noted. You know, we get addicted to shopping because if we just make one more purchase, hopefully that'll make life better. We get addicted to exercise or to dieting because we hope that just one more gain will make us more attractive or more athletic. People get addicted to sex or the pursuit of sex or the perversions of sex, like for pornography, because once again, it is one way to just now escape life for a moment. All of these 
are a symptom of discontentment. And they are making our society, a society marked by excess and personal autonomy, it's causing us to pursue whatever we deem necessary for our lives to satisfy our lives, but we find that it never actually satisfies and it's just making us less and less happy. It's making us more and more depressed. It's taking away any real sense of contentment. We really have no idea so often what it means to be truly content or satisfied. In Paul's words, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And you know, the other thing I've, I've experienced and noticed is that some have experienced, they experience the exact opposite um, when it comes to trying to find contentment. And what I mean by that is there is a sense in which we try to pursue contentment through these uh, different things that become addictions. But there's also this sense of just giving up and assuming that that in some way will produce some kind of contentment. You know, I've seen people get so fed up with chasing after satisfaction that they just end up apathetic or detached from everything. You know, I'm going to stop working. I'm no longer going to take care of myself. I no longer will pursue relationships or connections with others. I'm just going to shut down. And hopefully if I shut down, that that will then produce some kind of satisfaction or contentment. And for some, that is their approach to pursuing such things. You know, it's to, to achieve attentment is to divest myself from the burdens and from the pleasures of this world to just cut all feelings off, to disconnect. And as a result, there's no real drive to pursue any kind of change in life or to change, to see change in uh, their neighborhoods or their societies. It's just a, a numbness that tends to set in. But is numbness and discontentment, or uh, disconnectedness, contentment? I mean, is a refusal to work on oneself or to seek the betterment of circumstances around me and just shutting down, is that contentment? Well, no, it's not. I mean, this again is a misunderstanding of contentment. Contentment is not caring, not caring about what's going on around me. If it were, so much of what we've, we've talked about over the course of this series would be completely irrelevant. And that can't possibly be what Paul is talking about, to just shut down. I mean, if contentment uh, were that, then the whole concept of sanctification that we've looked at over the course of these last several weeks would be completely invalid. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you consider back in chapter 3, Paul was telling us to strive and to press Toward, uh, toward to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ. Over and over again, Paul has been calling us to work towards certain things. It's part of what it means to, be the Christ, to live a Christian life, to give our lives fully to service of the Lord and to work uh, for his glory in our lives and in, our, in the world that's around us. And so there's a sense in which in the Christian life, we're constantly growing. We're constantly changing. We're constantly needing to battle against sinful tendencies. And if contentment were just giving up, then all of that would be completely invalid. I mean, even the kinds of things that we've been talking about a lot right now, like the pursuits of justice, would be completely invalid 
if contentment mean that we just gave up on things? You know, working for the good of our communities and for our families would be completely invalid if contentment meant just shutting down. That is not what contentment is. You know, contentment is not chasing after things that we can never fully achieve. Contentment is not shutting down. Contentment, instead, is something unique. And it's unique to the Christian faith, which brings us now to the, our last point, is how we can get it. You know, I really do love the way that Paul talks about contentment in verse 12. Again, let me, let me read it for you. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of contentment. It's, it's interesting to me. It's almost like Paul is this wise old sage. He needs, he's drawing us in, you know, to hear this secret that he wants to tell us. And when he, when he says that, there's a part of me that thinks, it just doesn't seem fair. Right? That contentment is that elusive, that it, it just it isn't something that we can really grasp onto. You know, why does contentment have to be this secret that we can't just know? Why isn't it available for everybody just to know? Well, here's what's interesting about this secret. The secret is, and it isn't, something that we can just know. And here's what I mean. Paul tells us his secret. Right? He speaks of contentment as being this secret, but then he tells us, what the secret is. And he says, I have learned the secret of being fulfilled and content that in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's Paul's secret to contentment. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, when you think about uh, the most popular or well-known verses in the Bible, verse 13 probably jumps out at you as one of the most uh, well-known verses of the entire Bible. Uh, and even though it's one of the most popular verses of the Bible, uh, it also can be one of the most misused. Maybe you know the verse uh, more along the lines of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a beautiful verse, often misused. And the reason why it's misused is so often that verse is used to say that nothing can stand in my way when attempting to accomplish uh, my dreams or achieve my greatest desires. And so we claim verse 13 because I can, I can do it. I can make it because of Christ. But is that what Paul is saying? I mean, is the strength of Jesus given so that we can achieve these great goals, remove any great struggles that might be in our life, no. I mean, that's not at all what Paul is saying here. I mean, what is happening here in context? The context is contentment in all circumstances. Right? The secret to Paul's contentment is Jesus. The secret to Paul's contentment is the strength that Jesus provides to him to be content. And here is why he describes it as a secret. In many ways, the kind of contentment that Paul describes here is a contentment that only a Christian can experience. It's a contentment that is empowered by the Spirit of Christ that moves us to always acknowledge the brokenness in us, the brokenness that's around us, knowing that there are 
always aspects of my thinking and my life that must change, knowing that there are all, there's always work to be done in the world, knowing that there are always going to be struggles that we experience, while at the same time, pursuing all of these things, realizing all of these things, but finding a sense of rest and finding a sense of contentment in Jesus. It is a sense of rest that the world didn't give and the world can certainly not take away. No circumstances can. I mean, without Jesus, we are left with endless pursuits that will never fully satisfy. Or we are left hopeless and detached, believing that nothing will ever really change. But for the Christian, we can find contentment in all situations, because that which truly satisfies transcends the present circumstances in life. And you know, we know all of this to be true because of the cross and the resurrection. This is what makes the Christian faith so unique, is that contentment comes to us through the cross, through the resurrection. It proves to us that the ultimate victory over what we experience in life uh, is ultimately Jesus's, that he is ultimately in control, and that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that now moves us and empowers us forward while giving us this unmatched sense of contentment along the way. And so friends, I encourage you to fix your eyes not on the things of the world that claim to provide contentment but ultimately don't, to not fix your eyes on the despair and the hardships that are around us as though they will ultimately have the final say in our lives, but to fix our eyes on Jesus, the secret to contentment, and discover what it means to find that rest and to find that contentment in him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the power of the cross and the resurrection. We thank you for the power of the ongoing work of your spirits in our lives. The secret to the contentment that we so long for is Jesus and the work of the spirit in us. So God, would you help us to fix our eyes on that beautiful truth that all that we need to find contentment is found in the work of your son, empowered by the work of your spirit. And may that cause us to no longer seek after things of this world as though they can satisfy, but instead rest fully and completely in you and what you have done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.